Welcome to our show. This is going to be terrible. We're three friends hanging out, talking about whatever seems interesting at the time. Don't say we didn't warn you. If we haven't met before, hi, my name is Robert. So to preference my intro, my wife got me a hundred amazingly corny jokes for Christmas. I'm going to read one now. What do you call a bee having a bad hair day? A frisbee. Get it? Hi, I'm James. Yeah. I'm Nathan, and this week we're going to be looking into Star Wars Squadrons, available on Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. If you tuned into our Mandalorian review miniseries, My Mando and Me, over the past two months or so, it should come as no surprise that we're Star Wars fans. If you don't enjoy Star Wars yourself, these probably aren't the hosts you're looking for. But seriously, whether you are a fan yourself or not, check out that miniseries sometime. Mandalorian Season 2 was amazing, and we had a blast sharing our thoughts. But enough about Mando. As, spoiler alert, he doesn't have a ship anymore. And this game is all about the starships. Ships, more ships, and dying. Lots and lots of dying. Or one out for our KD ratios. Star Wars Squadrons is a space flight sim set in, who'd have thunk it, the Star Wars universe, shortly after the Battle of Endor, released back on October 1st in the year that shall not be named. It's developed by Motive Studios and published by EA Games. Squadrons has you playing both New Republic and Imperial pilots in their respective squadrons as part of its campaign story. The game also features online crossplay multiplayer, meaning you can play with your friends regardless which platform they're on. We'll talk about our experience that later. Story. So let's start our review with the campaign, since the game has you complete a prologue before you can do anything else. We do want to stress, however, that the decision to force players to play a single-player prologue first is meant to help familiarize you with the controls. Flight sims are not known for their easy learning curves. I am so glad they did this. I will be the first to admit I am not an elite pro gamer. We all know that Jacob can agree with that statement. You will not see me on any esports teams anytime soon or ever, really. On top of that, I've never been good at flight sims or especially fleet, uh, space flight sims. Which direction is up again in space? So... This was very welcome to me. I think the prologue did a good job of setting up some of the main characters, though. And it is yet another, spoiler alert, Imperial Defection story. Uh, but it does ease you into the controls. But by the end of it, I was pretty confident I could handle it. Anyone else have thoughts on the prologue and the start of the single-player experience? The prologue was a great introduction to the game. After not having played a full-on flight sim game in a long time, let alone on a console using a gamepad, I know it took me a while to get back into the swing of things. This is the type of game where it'll show you the ropes, but it will not hold your hands forever. And the more time and practice you get with it, the better your experience will be. That being said, even on the lowest difficulty setting, most gamers should be able to compete the campaign with minimal troubles. As far as the story goes, I found the prologue interesting. I don't know for sure if it's the first time it's mentioned in the current uh, Star Wars canon, but this is the first time I've noticed the Empire making a point of hunting down Alderanian refugees. You know, as if blowing up their home, home world wasn't bad enough or anything like that. The main story hook being about an Imperial defector, certainly cliche at this point, but honestly, what hasn't Star Wars recycled over and over again throughout the years? I'm kind of willing to let that slide at this point do want to point out a quick little easter egg the prologue has you going around scanning a bunch of freighters looking for the refugees and it mirrors the first mission from the old 90s tie fighter game they even bring back and visually update the old bff1 bulk freighter from that older game i do want to point out with the prologue specifically 
when I first started playing it, I was kind of disappointed that we are going to have yet another game that was going to show the Imperial and the New Republic side and kind of go back and forth, or at least that's how it seemed in the prologue and that's how it is for the rest of the game. And I just, I didn't like the prospect of them just kind of ballooning out of cash to kind of like be filler that we're going to learn about all these different people. Um, and it just, it seemed like it was almost trying to make room for other spinoffs and like kind of like uh, crossovers with other potential games because introducing all these new characters and now they all have these backstories and they have all these goals in mind. Like they're trying to help create the basis for more stuff to kind of spin off from it. And I just, I worry that it was going to be too much. But having said that, by the time the campaign does finish, they did a good job, I think, of balancing having too many characters and then the character development, which there isn't much. It's more about the themes of the game and the campaign, the story they're trying to tell. So having those worries going into the game I didn't have them at the end of it. So I was glad they were able to do, do a really good balance on that aspect. I, I think some of that uh, with, you know, because I, I agree with you there, Nathan, there are a lot of people to track in this uh, story, but I think some of that is also because the main character, so to speak, is you. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, a lot of people were talking about this online when the game was coming out is how much of this is going to be canon are there influences you'll have in the game that will make it different than other people? And so like, this isn't, for example, Halo, where everything is about Master Chief, where you're playing the Chief. You are mm -hmm. playing a character whose name, essentially, you get to choose. It's you in this Star Wars universe. And so since the story cannot focus on the one character, which is primarily you, like it does in most video games, they got to spend time with other people and most star wars stories aren't just about one people but a group of people um the fact that it's two separate factions i think exacerbated that a little bit so i do agree with you somewhat the rest of the campaign matched my expectations from the prologue and was very enjoyable the main story again takes place in the aftermath of the battle of endor from return of the jedi and it focuses on the new republic's mysterious project starhawk I liked the way the game brought in elements and plot points from various stories already taking place around this time frame in the Star Wars universe, yet it didn't feel completely bogged down in lore. The details there enrich the story, but don't make you feel completely lost if you don't know how event X connects to character Y. That being said, I wasn't super crazy about the cameo by Hera Syndulla of Star Wars Rebels fame toward the end of the campaign. I don't know. Part of it might have been that I thought the character model in the game seemed a bit off compared to watching her in Rebels, which, yeah, the art in Rebels is a bit more stylized while Squadrons is going for a more realistic feel. But I don't know. It just didn't gel with me at all. I uh, I can kind of, I definitely agree with you there with this stuff with uh, Hera. I think um, what also helped uh, with the story here and not being bogged down too much is the fact that the conversations with the characters that can add to the story in the game is all optional. The only cutscenes that you're forced to watch are those that are really for telling the, the main storyline. But then there are all these nice little threads. If you spend time talking to each of your crewmates in each of the factions, it does open up that story a bit more. So those of us lore junkies still get something to uh, look forward to, to connect event X to character Y, but those that are not Lord Junkies can simply bypass those conversations and just pay attention to the main story. Are you implying that you're not a Lord Junkie? Oh, no. I listened to every single conversation and loved every moment of it. I just agree that 
they did that they they executed keeping it not being bogged down very well by making those elements of the story optional piggybacking off the um stylized stylization of um Hera specifically um i did like the design of the characters in this game i thought there was a nice variety of different alien species that they weren't all just humans unless they're on the imperial side i like that we got to see some aliens that we don't see as often like I'm pretty sure the, what was it, Fisk, I think his name was, was it Trandoshan? It's like, you don't often hear about Trandoshans flying in the uh, the spaceships. You got uh, your lizard people. Yeah, yeah. So it was really cool seeing, you know, again, aliens I don't often get to see in the Star Wars universe. It's not inundated with all the Twi'leks all the time. So um, I was kind of disappointed with the lip syncing. That kind of drew me out every now and again when the, the lips really did not match up. Like, I can, not, I've got no problem with them being close, but there are times when, like, the voice kept going. And then the lips just kind of stopped. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly, James. <laughs> so, I mean, but I mean, again, I loved how varied all the characters looked. It, it was great. Yeah. If there is one thing that some people might complain about with this campaign is that it can be a bit on the shorter side. Playing it on the normal difficulty, you can expect to finish it in around eight to 10 hours. You do have a replayability in the form of completing the missions again on higher difficulties, and trying to earn all the optional medals. Plus, you do have the multiplayer mode. Personally, I thought I got my money's worth out of the game, especially when you consider it launched at a kind of middle-of-the-road price of $40. If it had released at $60, I don't know if I would have bought it on day one. So having even that little bit of a discount worked in Squadron's favors. 100% totally agree with you here, James. I, uh, I am kind of glad if only because like i said earlier i'm not an elite pro gamer and flight sims are definitely not my jam uh having a shorter campaign at least made me feel good because then when i start struggling with the mechanics and everything which we'll get into in a little bit you know i wasn't frustrated by the fact that i was never reaching the end of the game i knew that i could push myself a little further because the finale was right around the corner and of course, for sure, the price uh, definitely helps out with that a little bit more. But for someone who doesn't prefer flight sims, having a short campaign worked well for me. Um, I know at first when I found out the campaign wasn't going to be a very long to do, I was kind of disappointed because I'm always about the story. I'm not a big multiplayer kind of guy. I love, I love being told a story when it comes to video games. Um, having said that, I realized with Squadrons, the campaign more serves as a tutorial for the multiplayer because that is the bread and butter of this game is the multiplayer experience get to fly around and shoot a bunch of different people and i like how a it's geared towards that like purposely and then they included this campaign and they included a really well-written story i feel for the amount of time that we get and they basically teach you how to play the game so that you can enjoy the major part of the game so having experienced it all now, it's like, okay, I can understand a shorter campaign because really it's just there to teach you kind of the minutia of how to play the game well and not just be told a story. But that's just kind of like icing on the cake for the story. Okay, so we've completed the campaign. The game's taught us how to fly our craft, shoot down our opponents, and survive. But how good was it able to convey those thoughts and concepts? And how easy to tell the game what you want to do? That's right, we're covering the gameplay now. Gameplay. The gameplay in Star Wars Squadrons is lots of fun. Even if on consoles, the controls do take a little getting used to. Uh, flight simulator games, 
typically found on PC, where you have a mouse and keyboard give you a lot of options for button inputs, including even giving you the option to use a flight stick if you want to go for that super authentic feeling. While on a console, a gamepad is much more limiting. Motive makes it work, though, with the only downside being, for me at least, if I try to go back to the game after not having played it for a few weeks or more, kind of like how we just did when we played some multiplayer together here, I'll have forgotten how anything works. You could make the same argument for a lot of other games if, if you haven't played them for a while, but the relearning curve here felt a bit steep. When you're in the zone and you can commit the time to this game, it feels very rewarding, but as soon as you step away from it for too long, very hard to get back into that groove. Yeah, the controls in this game are they are very solid, especially for being on a gamepad, you know, because I did play this on Xbox. And like I said, and I'll keep saying, I'm not great at flight sims. And so, you know, the controls, while pretty well thought out, yeah, that relearning curve is hard. Um, I didn't play the, I played the game, finished the campaign, did a little bit of multiplayer, and then I didn't touch it for about a month before we started planning for this review. And when I picked it up, I almost considered replaying the campaign just to learn it all over again, because I had forgotten all of the neat little tricks that they teach you in the game. That being said, doubling back just a teeny bit to the campaign, like Nathan said, it, it's serving to teach you how to play, and it does that extremely well. There are a ton of different things you can do, even with just the maneuvering of the ship, boosting and drifting, and the controls... Um, work out pretty well for being on a gamepad. I did also like a lot of the different things about how to quickly change um, the different power systems on the ships, how easy it was to jump from speed to shields or weapons and rebalance them. There was a button for everything uh, on the controller in this game, which was great for giving you a ton of options to do, but then also contributed to that steep relearning curve. Overall though, the gameplay is fun and the controls are well thought out and robust. Growing up on X-Wing, TIE Fighter, and X-Wing Alliance on PC where I had the keyboard and the joystick for like a decade that I was playing those three games, um, I was actually very pleasantly surprised how well the control profile condensed onto the gamepad. Um, like Robert said, there was a way to input a command for everything you wanted to do that we used to be able to do in those kind of games. For the most part, there's some exceptions, but they were minimal things like checking out maps and that kind of stuff because those PC versions from a long time ago, I think they were more tactical, whereas this was more of a first person experience, which is, you know, backed up by the fact that you can never leave the first person cam, unlike you could in those old PC games where you could get rid of the HUD, you get rid of the, the scopes, um, and you could just like have a star field in front of you and then just, you know, pull on the trigger whenever a ship gets in front of you. Um, and what surprised me about all this is I feel like Motive didn't have to include the whole power rerouting that Robert was talking about between engines, lasers, and shields. They didn't have to include the fact that you can give out squadron commands. They didn't have to give out like target selection and then showing the targets up on your scope so that you know you didn't have to actually look around. You had the scopes right in front of you all the time. Um, and so I just, again, I was very surprised with how well they transferred it to the gamepad. And having said that, I've heard that on PC, I have it on PlayStation myself, but apparently on PC, they don't really have a controller profile for the keyboard and mouse or keyboard and joystick that a lot of people have to find what works for them, which requires multiple playthroughs in the campaign so they kind of get an idea of 
which layout works for them best. And I was kind of disappointed with hearing about that because there already is a keyboard layout that does work well and it's in three previous games. Why couldn't they just copy that controller profile over? So, I mean, all in all, that's like the only ball they dropped on this game. You did remind me of something that I, I do wish that they would have added as uh, an option in this game, is, and that is a third-person view. Um, I do like, like you said, they added all of these things here because they were forcing you to play in first person. So it certainly made that better for people like me that don't prefer flight sims, but it would have been nice to just throw in a quick, go to the settings and make this thing third person, because that is how I experienced it in battlefront two. And that was a ton of fun flying in third person that way. I just, it was a little difficult, you know, flying it in first person but again that's a not being great at flight sims thing and not necessarily a knock on how well the game plays it does play very well in first person i myself just would have preferred that they just throw in a third person option for the rest of us guys that don't like it but see here's the thing they don't need to battlefront 2 still exists its (laughs) servers are still up you can go play it motive also developed the you know the star the star fighter mode in that game. So sure. I I think they were definitely going for, especially having like Nathan mentioned, you know, all the power management and everything like that. They were going for more of a middle ground between battlefront two is more of an arcadey flight sim. And, you know, you have your PC, you know, super hardcore, you need a thousand button flight sims. They were trying to find a middle ground. And I think they hit it really good here. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I do have to say uh, my favorite mission in the game, as far as like, you know, varied gameplay and stuff is when you're uh, flying as the new Republic and you have to escort a convoy of starships through an asteroid field surrounding this asteroid field is a ton of lightning storms that you have to avoid or else you're going to take damage. So when you've got everything combined, you know, the, the lightning, the asteroids, the opposing starfighters, it makes for a lot of chaos. And it's, you know, the fun, enjoyable kind of chaos. Um, you know, you're trying to protect the convoy and it's all in order to lure you, the main Imperial Star Destroyer that's been pursuing you into a trap. The, the mission was visually striking and a lot of fun. I think my favorite mission would have to be the uh, opposing factions where you are in uh, this junkyard space and there are a lot of these reactor cores floating about and you have to kind of activate them and then blow them up at the specific time. Um, I feel like that's, you know, the uh, antagonist side of mission, the antagonist version of the mission that James is talking about. That had to have been my favorite one because having to blow them up at the right time. And then some of them were over here and then you're dealing with other things and there's a ton of debris in the field and stuff that that has to be my favorite one in the game. For me, all the missions were fun in their own way, but the one that stood out to me the most was the one that introduced the, um, I forgot what it's called already, the drifting mechanic, because that was not in those original flight simulator games on PC. Uh, so the fact that you can just kind of like, like as a, what's his face? Lone Star says in, um, in space balls and you can make space tracks by drifting the, the, sh- the ship to like kind of like do glancing shots as you fly past. That was such a neat realization of how it worked and how you can use it and like all the avenues that it opens up for how you're able to fly around the map now. Uh, so that's what hung up. That's what stood out to me the most was just new way to shoot things. <laughs> but as Han Solo famously says, good against remotes is one thing, good against the living, that's something else.
So let's jump on over to our time playing against other players. Multiplayer. One of the things that kind of confused me with this game at first, especially starting with the campaign, was seeing how this squadron that you're flying with, that they're all made up of different ships. You know, you got like two X-wings, an A-wing, a Y-wing, and then this U-wing or something flying back there. And I just kept thinking, no, squadrons are always one ship. You got Gold Squadron, which is all Y-wings, and then you got Rogue Squadron and Race Squadron, which they're all X-wings. Why are they breaking it up like this? And so finally switching over to multiplayer kind of showed me why this game is structured that way. And it's because all the ships do different things. You have the basic fighters, X-Wings, TIE Defenders, and TIE Fighters. And they're the ones who are just kind of like the jack of all trades. They can go against the capital ships. They can fly against other starfighters just fine. They can pull back for defense or jump ahead and, you know, attack if they need to. And then you have the interceptors, A-Wings and TIE Interceptors. And those are good for defending the bombers. And the bombers, Y-Wing and the TIE Bomber. Uh, they're good for attacking the capital ships. And then lastly, the support ships, the U-Wing and the uh, TIE Reaper. And they just kind of hang back and they refuel and resupply and repair and all that kind of good stuff. And so jumping into a multiplayer game finally showed me why they structured the game to have this mixed ship squadron as a way to get everybody to have a role as if like you're a fire team or something like that on the ground. Because you don't have a fire team of all soldiers or all medics or all snipers. You have one of each. And so it was really neat realizing how they were able to kind of incorporate that into a space flight sim where each pilot has a role to play instead of it just being a whole squadron is a role to play. And I think that was a great decision to help limit the number of players that you can have like just two or three people join in, pick the one role they want to do, and then the whole team can actually succeed off that. Motive has done an excellent job with the multiplayer in this game. When it first launched, like Nathan said, each faction had access to four unique starfighters each, so eight in total, and they're pretty well balanced against each other. None of them are bad options, and the game even helpfully suggests a class if your current squad seems to be missing a little something useful. As a bonus, you're even allowed to change your ship class mid-match when you die, so you can try a different class if your current option doesn't seem to be working out for you. For advanced players, this also means that you can change things up and adapt to the enemy's tactics once you've seen their playstyle. And the game has two multiplayer modes. You've got your starfighter versus starfighter dogfight and fleet battles. Much like with the campaign, I can see some people complaining about the lack of additional modes, but honestly, again, I was fine with it. It helps that in one of the most recent updates, Motive added the option to set up custom matches. So if you only want to fly with and against your friends, you can do so. That being said, the multiplayer community for the game, at least at the time of our review, seems very healthy. I never had to wait very long to be paired with other players in matchmaking, and that's always a good thing. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the multiplayer somewhat. I think this is where my lack of skill in flight sims um, hurts my experience with the game. This is not a knock on the game in any way whatsoever. The multiplayer is very good, um, and I agree with James. Two seems like a little bit, but it actually works out pretty well, and custom matches certainly help that. I think some of the people that were complaining in the very beginning, because I think for me with the lack of flight sim skill, I would prefer to play with just my friends and maybe some AI. Uh, when we were uh, playing some multiplayer for our, for the review, I much more enjoyed the match that it was just the three of us stuck in empty space flying around, trying to just kill Nathan 
uh, to the fleet battle we played afterwards where I was just getting destroyed by AI of all things. Um, I just, I'm not good with flight sims and so multiplayer isn't my jam, but either way I could tell from the experience that I had that there is plenty to love here for those that love flight sims. Final thoughts. So all in all, let's just go ahead and give our final thoughts on this game. Um, I just, I got to point out how much I love that this was actual cross-platform play. Because so many times companies use the term cross-platform and they mean Xbox 360 players can play with Xbox One players can play with next box players. And yes, that is technically cross-platform, but this one is totally cross-platform. I got it on PlayStation 4. James and Robert, they got it on Xbox One. I was able to play in wonderful VR on my PSVR system while they had, you know, just use one little screen to play and fight and everything. So I'm sitting there looking around and everything and looking, you know, and they just had to kind of, you know, be a little caveman or something. So again, I just, I really love that I got to enjoy the VR experience that I already had and already owned and still get to play with my friends. And they didn't have to go out and buy a PlayStation or I didn't have to buy VR on Xbox or something like that. I really enjoyed my time with Star Wars Squadrons. I'll admit when the game was first announced, I was a little bit skeptical about how it would work on uh, consoles. But I can honestly say Motive managed to make it shine. While it's not exactly the same as playing the old 90s X-Wing and TIE Fighter games on my PC, they've definitely made a worthy successor. The limited scope of the game, along with that $40 launch price, seems to have worked in their favor. I also love the fact that the game has absolutely zero microtransactions. Each ship upgrade and piece of cosmetic gear can only be earned through playing the game, which in my opinion, is how it always should be. The fact that the two new ships were added to the game as free DLC two months after launching is icing on top of an already delicious cake. I highly recommend Star Wars Squadrons to anyone looking to scratch that old flight sim game itch and unfortunately it's an itch that i won't have uh this game was great for what it was but me not being great at flight sims and just not really being into it uh means that i probably won't be getting in a ton of time after this review playing squadrons i'm sure when the guys are playing i will be happy to join them uh, but I don't know if I'll be picking it up to just play on my own with random strangers online anytime soon. And that's not a knock on the game. As I've said in the review, they've done a very good job making it playable for someone like me who's not great at flight sims. But it still, I think, is a niche game for those that really are into that genre. I think if you have not been great at flight sims, and you want to try it out and see if you can get into it, this is a great game to get you into this niche. Uh, but if you don't like it, you're going to find yourself not having the greatest of time outside of the campaign. Uh, so definitely that $40 price tag uh, was a very, very smart move um, so that those of us that want to just play the campaign and then move on don't feel like they got ripped off. Um, all in all, though, Great game, great controls, great story. This non-flight sim loving game player enjoyed it. Terrible times. So let's move on to what we've started calling terrible times, where we're going to talk about something 
mostly unrelated to what we just talked about, something that us, we personally have been doing in our lives and just kind of wanted to share out and kind of, you know, let people know, hey, we enjoyed this. We think you might as well. Uh, Robert, do you want to start us off? Sure. So I, I want to call back to a character in uh, The Mandalorian, Captain Carson Teva. He is played by a Canadian actor, Paul Sunghyung Lee from Kim's Convenience, which you can currently watch on Netflix. Um, I liked this character in the show. I didn't really think anything of it. He's not a major character, but I kind of like this, you know, New Republic beat cop, if you will. I thought it was a really interesting new character to have in this universe. And uh, he recently did a kind of like an interview with Alex Damon from Star Wars Explained. It's a channel that I uh, watch on YouTube. And he has this series called Calm Chatter where, funnily enough, he interviews people that are from the Star Wars universe, actors and things of that nature that are more intimately involved with Star Wars while they play squadrons. <laughs> and uh, in, in his interview with Paul Sung Lee, they don't play squadrons. They just stay in the briefing room and kind of just chat. But Paul Sung Lee shares his story about how he got into Star Wars, how he ended up getting a role on the show. And it is probably the, the most fascinating story about how someone, a fan of, of this universe, actually got to be involved in the show on screen with lines, named character and everything. It is, it is really cool. Like it's like a good, a little, I think what's I want to say, it's a little bit more than an hour long interview. And I was just glued to my screen because every word out of his mouth was just so interesting, really, really cool stories. So um, I want to recommend that you all go check that out. We will drop a link to that interview in the description because it is a really, really fascinating uh, interview and the stories he tells are great. I also, because of the interview, decided to start watching Kim's Convenience and it is actually a pretty good show too. I'm only a few episodes in, uh, but I find myself enjoying it very much. So it's really, the only problem is standing there looking at him and I'm going, that's Carson Teva, but no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Stephanie's watched some of that. So I've, you know, seen it in on in the background. And it's one of those like on the show he plays, is it is he Korean? Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. He so he's, Korean you know, accent. got he's playing up a typical Korean accent. And it's like, oh, he did not have that on the Mandalorian. This looks seems weird. Yeah. Also on Netflix, uh Hilda season two came out on December 14th. Uh, just before we finished doing uh, My Mando and Me. And it's a show that Jessica and I started watching with season one, whenever that came out. And it, it's a beautiful show. The art style is gorgeous. The music is beautiful. And the world they're developing in it. It really reminds me back when uh, The Last Airbender was coming out on Nickelodeon all those decades ago. And so I just it makes me look forward to the ride that we're going to have with this fantasy world with trolls and deer foxes and little elves that have to write down every little legal thing like they're little lawyers or something uh just it's a beautiful show give at least a couple of episodes to watch just because again it's gorgeous so for me also on netflix hey maybe give us some sponsorship dollars join netflix using our promo code <laughs> i watched uh the second series for the transformers war of war for cybertron trilogy uh it's uh 
produced by, I think it's Rooster Teeth. I think they produced it. Maybe whatever the technical word is for it. They, uh, it's, it's a trilogy of seasons. Each season is going to be six episodes. They, the first one came out over the summer called Siege. And it basically, it deals with the origin story of the Transformers, kind of the Autobot and Decepticon war. And it brings us back to, you know, all of the old kind of like art style from the 80s. It's none of these, you know, Michael Bay type of look and feel. And it's, I enjoy it quite a bit. And the fact that it is six episodes in each season means that, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. But this newest one, Earthrise, it, at the end of it, it sets up for the finale. It looks like they're going to do some sort of crossover thing with the Beast Wars Transformer series that came out in the 90s. So it'll be really interesting to see how they kind of like connect to the old, you know, Autobots with and Decepticons with their, you know, their descendants in all the, you know, Beast Wars characters. So I don't know. I enjoyed it. Oh, wow. I am super intrigued. Because I love Beast Wars growing up. I know it doesn't hold up as well anymore, but man, I remember watching that every morning before school. So yeah, now I got to get on this show too. <laughs> so now, I mean, theoretically, yeah, the Beast Wars animation doesn't hold up. That's what I meant. But the story, like, I mean, the the, the Dinobot arc alone, yes. chef's kiss. <laughs> For me, it was always Inferno. For the royalty! <laughs> <laughs> So that was our review of Star Wars Squadrons. Let us know your thoughts in the comments. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. We are back from the holiday, so we'll be dropping an episode every other week. Check us out on Facebook for news on what we'll cover next by searching for This Is Going To Be Terrible podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the next one. Later. Be good to each other out there. <laughs>